I'm really glad you're with us today, friends. For those of you who are guests, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team alongside with some other guys that are sitting up here on the front row with me today. We call this sometimes, you know, kind of the pastor's bench or, you know what, the, uh, what else we call it? The bullpen, that's right. Yeah, that too. We call it all kinds of things that we wouldn't normally say in church too, but there you go. No, we don't. I'm just teasing. I'm really glad you're with us today. This has been a big weekend for us. We've tried in the, in the 915 service, so thanks for coming at 11 versus 1050 and all the crazy things that are going on here around here. It's all good stuff, and I want to thank you for that. And uh, in, in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at the issue of thankfulness. And, and like you saw in that video, those photos were primarily, primarily supplied by staff members, and we want to, in the weeks ahead, I'll move away from staff and see your photos up there. What are you thankful for? So in the, uh, today, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, posting something on, fo- on um, social media using the hashtag FCCThankful, or you could email it to us. You can see the addresses on the screen of how to get it to us. We'd like to feature the things that you're really thankful for in the next two weeks as well. So send us all that, and our video team will get to work on that straight away. And who knows, your family or your thing that's really important to you might get featured in the days ahead or in the weeks ahead. We'd look forward to that, okay? Talking about things to be thankful for, this really cool event occurred last Sunday afternoon. We had a baby dedication here. We we dedicated 16 babies. Take a look at this photo. Is that cool or what? Can you congratulate all those parents, okay? (laughs) I want to remind you that uh, there are three sets of twins in that photograph. I've stopped drinking the water in this place. I'm not doing it anymore because we seem to have a plethora. As one, some, somebody said, we are procreating well. So that's, but I'm not drinking the water anymore, okay? None, I've done with that. But I, I want to th- congratulate those families and say it's good stuff. And in light of the fact that we are this church that has a lot of young families and growing and changing and everything, and the way in which we're embracing change even today is this big movement for us to say we're going to change the worship schedule, and we're going to do two services at the same time in two different auditoriums. That went very well, by the way, at 9.15. I was like a cat on a hot tin roof in terms of nerves, but it came together very well, and thanks for your prayers in that endeavor. I just thought it'd be helpful for us as a congregation to remind ourselves where we've come in the last four years alone. It was four years ago in the spring of 2011 that this idea floated to the surface that we should add a Saturday night service to accommodate the growth of that time. And to be honest, I was not real thrilled with the idea. I didn't think it would work, but different people in the leadership of the church said, Wayne, you got to give it a run. And so I said, okay. And so I got behind, I got behind it. Wasn't real sure that it was going to work, but okay, I'll, and you all did great as a congregation, but just to remind you of the growth and the way in which we've moved, we went back in the archives 
and pulled out a video that we used when we said we are going to go to Saturday night and try to maneuver that change as we maneuver the change of today, catch a hold of this video that's four and a half years old. You are watching FCC 11, First Christian Church Community Access Channel. Wayne's World! Wayne's World! Party time! Excellent! And it's party time! I'm your excellent host, Wayne Kent, and with me as always is Brian! Party on, Wayne! Party on, whoa! Oh, extreme close-up! Whoa! Whoa! Saturday night services at First Christian Church, beginning Saturday, July 9th at 5 p.m. Okay. So, if we manage to survive that <laughs> and moving to Saturday night worship, we can manage to survive moving this service from 10.50 to 11. Thanks for your ability to embrace change and make it happen. All right, let's look at Scripture this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to look. It's about that far through the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, Grab one in the pew rack in front of you. You can see a page number behind me. And you're going to want to keep it open all the way through because I'm going to keep coming back to this. We're actually going to read the whole chapter today by the time we're done. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let's see what we can learn together. A very interesting story where, um, well, let's dig in and see what we've got. Second Chronicles chapter 20 beginning at verse 1. The Moabites, Ammonites, with some of the Mayanites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. I'll wait a minute. I can see some of you still looking. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're looking. All right. Let me start again. The Moabites, Ammonites, some of the Mayanites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazi and Tamar, that is in Gedi. And long story short, this, these armies are coming, if you will, they're coming from the east side of the Dead Sea, and they're coming around the south. And, and we'll get more back to that. It's really important that you be aware that this, they're giving us the locale of where the armies are coming from. So alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Jehoshaphat then stood up in the assembly of Judah and, and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. So now he's standing in front of the, the not a synagogue, but a temple, the very large building that, in essence, would be, if you considered the Jewish church, for some struggle with the language there, but you get the idea. And this is what he says. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And he's going back, he's recounting the story of the people of Israel when they left Egypt as slaves and came into uh, what it was then and is now the land of Israel. And it was given to them, Abraham being the forefather of the Jews. They lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, this was our practice, God, what we said we would do. That we, when, when disaster is about to strike, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Now, 
In light of all that's happened in the past, here's where we are today, God. Here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they, the Israelites, came from Egypt. So they, the Israelites, turned away from them, the other nations, and did not destroy the other nations. Now, look at this, God. We, didn't, we were kind to them, and now look. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Now, what we're doing today is we're starting this series, as I said, based on, you know, we're going to get these bumpers and get your photos and that sort of stuff to say what we're thankful for. And we're going to spend the next three weeks, this weekend and two weekends more, looking at the issue of thankfulness. And I would say today, I know there are some in the room that you go, Wayne, if you knew my life story right now, if you knew what's happened to me in the last week or the last six weeks, or if you knew, Wayne, what the last decade has been like and the misery that I've lived through, you'd understand why I approach the season of Thanksgiving with some trepidation and, frankly, not a lot of Thanksgiving in my heart. And I'd say, fair enough. Fair enough for that. But if that's your case today, if that's where you are, then this passage, it's got great news for you to understand what's going on in your life. It's an old, old passage. As a matter of fact, it's 800 years before Jesus was born. So we're reading a story that is today 2,800 years old. And 2,800 years ago, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah and Jerusalem, so he's got his palace, his throne is in Jerusalem. He's halfway between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean. All right, that's where Jerusalem is. And he's there and he's the king and he's facing a very daunting moment. He's learned that there is a coalition of three armies approaching Jerusalem from the south. They've come around the, the, the backside of the Dead Sea and coming around from the south and they are about to attack. And what's interesting about this is this is a very unusual route for armies that usually want to attack the people of Judah in Jerusalem. They were used to having armies come against them. Philist various Philistine armies would come either from the west or the north. And they were kind of accustomed to having, you know, some fortifications along those routes and being aware of what's going to go on. But there's basically desert only going from the south of Jerusalem round to the bottom side of the Dead Sea. And armies couldn't survive that. So for, to, for them to have an army coming from on the other side of the Dead Sea and from the south is really unusual, and they're not ready for it. And frankly, that's the story that many of us face with some regularity, it seems, or at least maybe today. It's one thing to say, look, I'm used to how ugly things can be under normal circumstances. I'm used to that person in the office that's just a miserable person, and I'm used to my Aunt Mabel being a bit weird. It occurs to me if your name is Mabel, that's maybe not very kind. We're very glad you're with us, but Mabel, you are. Mabel, you're a little bit weird from time. No, I'm just joking, but you get, you've got somebody in the family who is just a little bit off, and you're kind of used to their attacking you, and I, you know, it happens in, in all of life. I had a guy this morning kind of chew on my ear for a while, frankly, and I'm going, well, it happens from time to time. I get it. But what's difficult for us, who are we kidding, is that when, when, the, when the coalition of forces come at us from a direction that we're not ready for, and we go, man, I didn't see that coming. I have no fortifications for that. There's a situation, a setting, a person 
wow, where did that come from? And I'm not ready. Well, that's literally what's going on in the life of the people of Judah. Calamity is marching toward them from a setting and a situation where they go, we don't know what to do. And so what do they do? They go back and they rehearse what they were been taught to do as a nation. Verse 9. He, Jehoshaphat is crying out to God. This is what we've said in the past, God. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, when we see something coming, God, this is what we said we would do. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we'll do what? We'll cry out to you in these moments of distress, and you will hear from us. Pardon me, and, and, and you will hear us and you will save us. And, and they're going to land there, but they're saying, but this is so weird because this is not the norm. As a matter of fact, verse 12, this is so not the norm that we don't even have a battle plan. We, we remember your care of the past and how you gave us this land and what we said we were going to do. But verse 12, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us because they're coming at us from a different direction. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. They've cried out to God. And there's a lesson here for us. When the enemies of your soul when the enemies of your family life, when the enemies of your vocation, when the enemies of your health come at you from a position that you, I mean, when, when calamity is about to arrive and you had no sense that it was coming, then Scripture gives us a way to respond. It's found right here in this story. And if that's your story today, then I've got some really good news for you. There's something in this story that tells us how to live when calamity is pushing into our lives from, in a, from a direction that we don't expect. It's one thing to deal with Aunt Mabel. It's one thing to deal with the, that ugly person in the office, but what when it's somebody that, or a situation you just, how are you going to be ready for that? Well, let me see if I can explain it this way. Within the course of human history, from the beginning of history, if you will, from the time of Genesis, there's a line that should go through all of humanity's story. It's what, we, it's what humanity was designed for, and it's the way in which humanity as a whole was supposed to live. It was designed by God. As a matter of fact, this line that goes throughout the course of human history should be the same line that goes throughout the course of your life. From the moment you were conceived and you were born through to the moment as you live your life all the way through to adulthood, if, if you get to, to the very moment that you die, there should be something that's found as a line drawn through the history of your life. In addition to that, it's a line that should be drawn through the calamity that's coming your way. And if you're in the middle of a calamity, there's something that should be drawn through the middle of all of that. What would that be? Well, it should be the one constant that's found in all of humanity, that's found in your life as a whole, and in your life in the middle of struggle. Go back again and look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning at verse 14, to see what they figured out to do in the midst of their struggle. Well, give us an answer as to what this line is. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jairo, the son of Metaniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And you're going, what's with that? Why, do we need to know who the sons are and everything? Well, that genealogy points us to one thing. This guy that had something to say is a musician. A musician is going to stand up 
and give a word from God as to how to live in the middle of this calamity. Not normally, you'd normally expect the general of the army to give us some answers, right? What's going on here? He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You won't have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out, face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So now they've cried before God. Look what they do next. Jehoshaphat bows down, crying. We need help. Now he bows down in submission before God. He bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Some Levites, other musicians, from the Korathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And this is what they did after they worshiped. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Hmm. What's the line, if you will, what's the line that should go through the course of human history? What's the line that should go through the history of your life? What's the line that should go through the setting, the calamity that's coming at you from a direction you don't expect? What these guys do? They cry out to God, they bow down, and what do they do? They worship God. See, friends, you got to know this. The reason you were made, the reason I was made, the reason that humanity was made was so that from the very beginning of humanity's existence, that God would be worshiped. That God, the, de- the glory of God would be declared. Maybe I could explain it this way by uh, letting you hear a little bit from a kid's book, okay? It's a great book called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Sally Lloyd-Jones is the author. And we're going to, if I was doing this for the kindergartners, I'd do it and read it like this, right? But that's not going to work in a room this size. So you're going to get to see some of the graphics as I read. Dance. In the beginning, God sang everything into being for the joy of it and set the whole universe dancing. God was at the center, at the heart of everything. And like the dance of the planets before the sun, think of our solar system, where the planets turn and spin and circle and wheel, they revolve orbiting round and round. God made everything in his world and in his universe and in his children's hearts to center around him in a wonderful dance of joy. It's the dance that you were born for. As it says in the book of Job, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. But then what happened? Cataclysm. The question is asked, what if planets put themselves at the center of the solar system instead of the sun? 
cataclysm would occur. And the Bible says that's what it was like when we sinned. God made his children's hearts to join together in the wonderful dance of joy, orbiting and circling around him. We were designed to dance around him, to worship him and to enjoy God. But we put ourselves in the center instead of God. We put ourselves in God's place, which is what sin is. It broke God's perfect world, and now our hearts are out of step with God and the universe and each other and even our own selves. But God had a plan. God had a rescuer. One day, Jesus would come to take the cataclysm of our sin into his own life. And he would lead us back to the dance of joy. As it says in Jeremiah, you'll be, you will again be happy and dance. What's the line that you were designed for? What's the line that all of humanity was designed for from the beginning to the very end? It's for us to be people of worship. And what is worship? Worship is the dance of life where, G where God is the center of all that we do. Life with God made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. God is at the very center. Now, I realize for some people that's really hard to get to. I don't know how to worship God. You say, I can, I can figure out how to be thankful. Yeah, but thankfulness is not always the same as worship. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are certainly people who say, I am thankful for all the gifts that God has given me. I'm thankful for salvation, for the fact that I'm going to spend eternity with God. I'm thankful that I'm forgiven, that I can forgive others. I'm thankful that I'm in a relationship with God. I'm thankful that I'm in a community of other people who are in a relationship with God. And all that thankfulness then leads us to worship. We put ourselves in a position, we put ourselves in an attitude where God is at the center of all we do. And we say, God, you are sovereign despite the circumstances. I'm doing all I can to get worship running through the course of my life, both the good times and the bad times. And that's what they did. That's what they did. If you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 again and look to find worship running through the line of this story. Verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They are declaring the glory of God. They are saying, thank you, God, that you are God. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and those armies were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Worship. They got musicians out in front of the army. Worship defeated the enemy armies. Thankfulness leading to worship. I know it seems counterintuitive that, man, in the midst of this struggle I'm in, I'm going to worship you. That may seem counterintuitive. But friends, it has absolute supernatural results. And I'd like to give you some results of what's, what I can find in this book here, in this story today. Some, some points and some observations, if you will, that come from this understanding that, hey, if I can worship God in the midst of great struggle, not only when life is good, but what can I learn about worshiping God altogether in the midst of difficulty? Some observations. Observation number one is found in verse 15. 
pardon me, verse 12. Verse 12. Oh God, will you not judge? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but your, our eyes are on you. And after stating that, they wait to hear, what are you going to say, God? And then in verse 15, they get the answer. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For what? The battle is not yours, but God's. In the midst of the worship, they discovered that the struggle they were in, yeah, it was a real struggle. The armies really were out there over in Gedi. But in the midst of that, if they could be worshipers, they would learn that the battle was not theirs, but God's. Today, lean into the work of God. Say, I'm going to trust God despite the circumstances, despite how I feel. I'm going to choose to be a person who declares that the, that the love of the Lord endures forever. I'm going to get that out in front of the army. And I'm going to declare that the battle is not mine. I'm going to lean in. Because then if I'm thankful, then thankfulness will lead me to being a person of worship. Now, I need to admit, as a musician myself, I have a bias. When I read this, I hear and see music throughout it all. Because that's partly my bias. But could I recommend that you take a look at their plan? This strange battle plan that they've got. They've got this army. They're going to face the other armies who apparently have all this power. And what do they do? They put musicians at the front. That's craziness, isn't it? There's no sense of, man, we, if calamity is coming to us, well, you know, if calamity is going to come to me, the first thing I'm going to do is going to put the musicians in charge. Man, wouldn't you rather have the strong people with the swords and the weapons? Hmm. There's no battle plan here. There are no forward infantry. There are no spies. Simply musicians and singers in front of the army. And I admit it seems strange, but could you choose to be thankful in that form? Apparently, God's people chose music as a way to demonstrate their thankfulness. And that's because, if you've been around here, we've learned this, that corporate music forces us to join in, in, in lyrics and text and in settings that are statements about God. There are statements about our community. It's a statement about declarations. Of state. There are statements about life together in God's presence. It's about being people of prayer and being people of, of celebration. Notice these people. They cry out to God first. Then they bow before God. Then what do they do? They sing in celebration, and the, the battle's not even there yet. Hmm. So you're saying, well, fine, Wayne, but you don't know what I sound like when I sing. Does anybody think, oh, you don't have to put your hand up, because I don't want to sit beside you. No, I'm just teasing. When you sing, I don't think I know for some people, when you sing, you say, I'm going to need a, t a bucket to carry the tune in. Is anybody like that? And so uh, you, it, it's better if I don't sing. No, that's not true. Some of you say, when I sing, it sounds like this. And you go, that doesn't sound like music at all. Well, you know what, friends? I would admit, they, by naming this musician that they did, the guy who brought the word of God, and giving his list of who he was and that sort of stuff, he was obviously an excellent musician. And I'm sure they put some great musicians at the front of the army, fair enough. But all the people sang. See, here at First Christian Church, when we sing and we worship together, it's not about the quality of that music. It's about the intent of our hearts. 
It's about us coming together as a group of people saying, we will worship God. We will declare the goodness of God Almighty because we know this, observation number three, that worship has a significant impact upon our circumstances. We don't worship because life is going great. We worship because God is God, and that is the line that should be throughout history, and that should be the line that flows through our lives. Thankfulness is a choice. It's a choice. Jehoshaphat really didn't have a reason to be thankful, didn't he? I mean, it would have been crazy that he'd say, well, I'm going to be thankful. The armies are coming. Thank you, God. The armies are coming. It looks like calamity is coming. No, that's crazy. You're not thanking God for the bad situation. But you say, despite this, even though they're coming at me from around the bottom, of the, the south end of the Dead Sea, yet me and my nation, we will choose to be thankful and we will express that thankfulness in worship and in praise. See, it's not our life dynamics that make us thankful, is it? It might be for other people, but it's not our, if you're a follower of, of, of Christ, it's not your life dynamics that make you thankful. It's the fact that God is God and we choose to be people who worship despite the struggles. And when we choose to worship, the impact is profound. See, worship changes us. We go from being fearful to being bold. That's what happened for the nation of Judah. They went from, man, the armies are coming to man. We, we trust God so much, we're going to put the musicians out in front, and we're going to let God do his thing. It took boldness to rely on God's plan. Can you be that bold? To rely on God's plan and say, I'm going to worship you, God, in the midst of the struggle? Worship not only changes who we are, but worship also changes the circumstances. The calamity that was coming their way went from calamity to success. What looked like a coming defeat actually became victory. We don't worship because life is good. We worship because that's the line that goes through our lives. And that's what we were designed to do. See, what I find fascinating is that Jehoshaphat and his nation worshiped God before the battle and after the win. It's one thing to be thankful after the situation has changed and we feel good about it. Fair enough. It's one thing to worship God after a great moment in life, after a successful season. But people who trust God trust to worship, trust, pardon me, people who trust God choose to worship before they see the results. And that's different than the world around us, I know that. There'll be people who will have Thanksgiving this week, I mean, this month, pardon me, in a couple weekends from now, and but they're not following God, but they're thankful. But if life is really bad that day, eh, the turkey's just not going to have the pizzazz that it has otherwise, right? Followers of God in Jesus Christ say, worship is the line that runs through the story of our lives, and we will worship God and give God thanks regardless of the circumstances. Because, friends, worship in the midst of struggle has tremendous results. Read with me chapter 20, verse 24. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying in the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. I want you to make note of that, okay? The name, that name. And they praised the Lord. That is why it is called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem, went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. Men, remember, they worshiped God before 
And here they are back at the temple worshiping God again. And the fear of God came on all the surrounding nations when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. Here's what we know, friends. Worship in the midst of their struggles had tremendous results. And the result of their worship, blessings. It took three days to accumulate all the blessings and tabulate it. But far beyond that, verse 30, it says that the blessings included peace on all sides. Wouldn't you like to have peace on all sides? All sides of your life today? Then step in and start being a person of thankfulness and declare it in worshipful joy. Get worship in front of your circumstances, friends. And see what God does. And to, to this end, I want to close very quickly with one interesting side note, if I may. Um, I want you to notice that that language in verse 26 that says the Valley of Barakah. That's where they were when they were collecting everything. That's where the battle had taken place. It's interesting to me that the Valley of Barakah, the place where the, um, where the battle took place, was the same place where the blessings took place. That word barakah in Hebrew has an interesting understanding. As a matter of fact, to translate it into English, we would say it is a barakah is a blessing, or we would also say it is a, a, a series of blessings that we might put over people. So we have barakah, a blessing, and barakah that we give to people. And um, I thought, if I could help you understand it a little more, it would be said very often in Jewish worship services, and uh, people of Jewish descent would say this even perhaps when they are about to eat. And so I thought maybe you could say it with me today. Would you read it with me, please? Here it is. It's on, you start on the right, remember. <laughs> Start on the right. Okay, you ready? Here we go. I'm just joking, of course. It really says this. Baruch hata Adonai Elohenu Melech HaHalam. Okay? So there it is in, in English. Well, that's still, that's still Hebrew, but it's a transliterated. This time we're going to start on the left. All right? Would you read it with me? Baruch hata Adonai Elohenu Melech HaHalam. We'll try it one more, time. one more time. You have to give the H's a little bit of a H sound. All right? You ready? Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu Melech HaOlem. What does it mean? It means this, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. And so when Jewish people uh, would give a blessing, a barakah, they are saying, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. And here's the implication. The place, the valley where the enemies of your soul, the enemies of your life, the enemies of your circumstances, the place where those enemies have planned for your defeat can also be a valley of berachah, a valley of blessings. And in that place, you get to say, if you choose, you get to say, God, you are blessed, you are my Lord, you are my King, you are indeed King of the universe. You could go from this place remembering this, that a place or a valley of potential calamity where the enemies of God's people plot murder and mayhem, that same place can also be a valley of berachah, namely a place of blessings for God's people. And so for, for my sake, I'm choosing to say, I want a line of worship to go through the story called Wayne Kent. I want a line of worship to go through the story that's called Wayne Kent's Day. In November 15th, 2015. I want a line of worship to go through the story called the Kent family. Because I'm really looking forward to not just the blessings. It's not the spoils so much. But I'm quite anxious to know what it means to experience peace on every side.
If I choose to be a person of worship, that's where I end up. Would you stand together, please, friends, and let's pray. God in heaven, you are familiar with all our ways. Our ways from day to, from, from dawn till dusk and what happens when we are resting. Lord God in heaven, speak to us today. Enable us as people to put this into practice and to go from this place declaring there are lots of reasons to praise God Almighty. Even in the midst of struggle, we will do that. Hear our prayers, hear our worship right now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.